Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. Amarillo by morning, up from San Antonio. Everything that I got is just what I have on. I ain't got a dime, but what I got is mine. I ain't rich, but Lord, I'm free. Fort Worth by Saturday evening to see George Strait is where I'll be. Hello, folks. Welcome to Your Money Radio. I am pumped because tomorrow night I'm going to see... King George. That's right. King George. George. My George wife Street. really wanted to see him one more time before he truly retired. He's already announced his retirement a few years ago, but he's making a tour and he's going to be here and we're going. Oh, man. Congrats. So it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, did you get tickets? George Michael? George- <laughs> From Wham? I think, think he's dead, but. Uh, Jitterbug. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 don't ruin it for me, Don, don't ruin it for me, I'm going to make my wife, if my wife watched this show, Don, she'd reach over there and slap you. No, she thinks she would. She would, she, he knows my wife, he knows it, all right, folks, listen, before I begin, I, I don't want to forget, and, and I want to wish everybody a very happy Thanksgiving, be yes. safe, I'll personally be smoking a turkey for 24 hours plus, mm. but we will not, we will not be doing your money podcast next week to give the Revere staff as well as our illustrious producer, Zach, a break. So yes. no money. Now we still will be doing the daily market insight videos every night that the market is open, not Thanksgiving, not mm-hmm. Thursday, yep. but every other day you will be. But the, the, the Thanksgiving week is historically it's a low volume week. Friday's half day. A lot of the traders start going out of town by Wednesday. It's it just kind of normally there's not a lot of fireworks. But in case there are, we'll still be monitoring what is going on. So just want to give that uh, give that forewarning. All right. Show note. Now, I've got a I've got a trivia question for you. Okay. What do the Ontario's Teachers Pension Union, sponsored by BlackRock, those ethical guys, BlackRock. <laughs> Tom Brady, Shaq, Seth Curry, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and J.P. Morgan all have in common. Zach, Don, you probably know this. Oh, Don't gosh. say anything. Uh, Zach? I, they, they, they all sound like they got a lot of money. They all got, well, they do, <laughs> but that is why they got SBF'd. SBF? They got SBF'd, yeah. Sam 
Bankman Freed, ah. <laughs> a.k.a. and formerly affectionate, formerly affectionately known as FB, SBF. That's his short name, you know, because yes. he's cool. He's, you know, it's like a one name, like Cher, you know, yeah. SB, I'm SBF. I think SBF now stands for son of a, <laughs> you, uh, you meet, meet the Fawkers. Meet the scam fa- bankman fraud. Yes. Yeah, oh, oh, there that's, you go. Like scam that. bankman fraud. I like that. Scam I like that. Sam. Ba- anyway, anyway, all of a sudden you've got all these people coming out of the woodwork and they're being named in these lawsuits because you know they help pump this thing up. You're and, talking about FTX, of course. Sam Bankman Fried. Oh CEO, yeah, and, the, and the crypto. And there's some funds, hedge funds, Bitcoin funds that are that are going around, and they're they're actually. Uh, a couple of them are, have freeze frozen their crypto um, redemptions. You can't, you, you can't, got to leave them on the exchange now. We're not sure we want you to take them. Really, really. Well, they're not even sure they're cleared. You know, they, nobody really knows what's going on. So it's going to be a very interesting um, 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 next week or two. And, and why is that important? Because it could affect your money. I mean, Absolutely. last week the market was starting to strengthen, you know, and getting stronger. And you had a couple of really choppy down days. And personally, a lot of that, I think, was the crypto crash because people were taking money out of cryptos. I'm sorry, taking money out of stocks and bonds to shore up their crypto margin calls. So anyway, that's what happens when you get really broad diversification. You got to take your good assets and, and plug up the ones that are going to, to SBF. Mm-hmm. And so you got you to do that anyway. <laughs> So, oh, and by the way, Merrill Lynch and Ed Jones, they're trimming advisors. They're both down about 4 to 6% um, on their advisor account. And, and but why? Well, because it's all about their profit margin. It's not about you. They, it's not customer service. How much money they can make on you. Mm. And along those same lines, LPL2 advisors, sell us your small accounts. You know, the little guy. Sell us your small accounts so you, the advisor, can focus on your growth. You know, don't let those little pesky accounts slow down and your goal of getting you rich. Guess what? Here's a newsflash, folks. Those two goals aren't mutually exclusive. You can actually take smaller accounts and still be successful. You take big accounts. You don't have to discriminate. And you can still get rich. Mm. And you can help everybody get rich along with you. That's what we strive to here at the Revere family. But first, we got to give the disclaimer. Yes. Folks. Your Money Podcast is for your edification and education and sometimes entertainment. It is not meant to be individual investment advice. If you want, seek, or need individual investment advice, reach out to moi, Don, or Michael. We're all registered investment advisors. Or you can seek out your own investment advisor. If you're not happy with your own investment advisor, you can reach out to us for a complimentary portfolio review or Kind of look at what you're doing. We'd be happy to do that for you. All right. So enough of that. Enough. Uh, and he uh, would be happy to give you a careless whisper if you contact him. <laughs> a George Michael joke? That's a good yeah, one. Jo- wow, wow, wow. <laughs> Sneak that by. Ah, don, don, don. All right. Now, now, I posted a lot of these articles on the, on the show notes. Yes, scroll and, down and, the and, description. But, but, there, but, there. I, and I don't want to get into the stuff on Edward Jones or Merrill Lynch or how LPL is to say a word, but I never. Yeah, but I was going to say not doing the right thing show. by their clients, yeah. but 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 that's that you know, um, or the smaller clients. They're fine with the big clients. They're just you know. Anyway, um, um, I'm not going to go into all that, but the but those articles are posted on there as well as some financial planning 
you can do the four-year Roth conversion. If you've got an IRA, you can absorb the income over four years, yeah. right? And the estate planning, you need to have that bypass clause. So both you and your wife or both you and your spouse, both you and your significant other get the bypass. You both get your exemption, estate exemption amount, instead of just having a loving will and everything going to the spouse. That's a booby prize. If you're low enough, if you've got, uh, if you don't have too many assets, that's okay, a loving will. But if you've got a decent amount of assets. Are you saying loving will or living will? No, loving, loving will. Loving will, a loving will means everything goes to my spouse. Everything, I'm, I'm get, leaving everything to my spouse. Okay, now. So very, I wasn't going to go into this, but now Don slowed me down, so I'm going to have to. <laughs> well, not, yeah, now uh, you got that's me okay. going. That's okay. Sure. Um, um, so, folks, everybody, right now you get almost $12 million estate tax-free. You don't have to die to give that away. You can do that inter vivos or during your lifetime. Okay. Okay. Now, if, and, 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 but if you've got a loving will, everything goes to the spouse, and when the spouse dies, you only get that $11 million twice. By the way, in 2026, January 1st, it's son's Sunsets back down to five million adjusted for inflation. Okay, mm. so you either get the five million adjusted for inflation once, or you can get it twice for ten, eleven, twelve million dollars instead of just six million with inflation adjusted. Okay, mm. because you can have a, a clause in your will or your living trust, whatever you have, revocable trust, so that you both get so a trust is set up upon the death of the first spouse, so that that amount can be set aside and it grows tax-free and it's already out of the estate so that you both get it. But I don't want to just grind this show to a halt, which I think I just did. No. Um, If if you got complex planning or even not that complex of planning, I'm very good in estate planning, uh, corporate structure, asset protection, 401ks, all that kind of stuff. We do holistic planning, but it's very boring and it's individualized. So if you need something specific, just reach out to me. You can call us at 855 real wealth. Okay. Now, so a lot of those articles are, are, were done um, uh, and posted up there, but I don't want to do that because it's very, very boring. What I do want to talk about, which is very important. Yeah. And it affects everything you do in your life from buying food, groceries, gas, inflation, all the way to your investing life. Okay. Okay. Um, and that is because I've been getting a lot of uh, questions last week about the Fed and the world reserve currency and interest rates and how the Fed works and what they're going to do. Are they going to stop raising? They're going to, you know, you know, stop beating us up. You know, what's the plan? And uh, and I actually I was talking to Michael Ramos. I talked to Michael last night. We had about a forty-five minute discussion on the Fed, the mechanics of the Fed, oh, yeah. and how that works, which also might grind it to a halt a little bit. The show. Because it, it is pretty technical. But I do want to talk about, so I did come across this article, and it actually is very good. It's, it says, Our Currency, the World's Problem, Part 1. Mm. And I'm going to go over this very quickly. I highlighted probably too much, but I'm going to go over the highlighted parts. Because this is a problem with all the reserve, the world currency, the, the world reserve currencies. Before us, it was the British pound. Yeah. Before that, people don't know, but it actually, uh, the Spanish, Spaniards were around for a little while till England bumped them off. And before that, it was the Dutch, right? Mm-hmm. People don't know that. During the tulip craze, the tulips crashed and so did the currency. <laughs> anyway. Um, Happens. Um, so anyway, I'm going to read this very quickly. The Bank of England is bailing out UK pensions. This is current right now. 
The Bank of Japan uses excessive monetary policy to protect its currency and to cap interest rates. They're literally buying yen to, to fake the strength of the yen. China encourages its banks to buy stocks. The dollar, the world's currency, meaning world's reserve currency, everything's traded in dollars, is on a tear. Interest rates are surging, and the financial world is fracturing. Mm. So not going over the whole article. Okay. In Bretton Woods' agreement in 1944, the Bretton, Wood, Bretton Woods is actually in New Hampshire, and they signed a agreement after World War II because after World War II, it was very apparent that we were the new world superpower. And actually, after World War I, it was kind of apparent, and England had to step down. They pushed it off after World War I and, and, and kind of stalled it. But after World War II, we said, no, no, no. We're the new kid on the block. We're the big man. We're king of the mountain. Sure. Knock us off. Yeah. Okay? Plus, we had to rebuild England, so they didn't really have a choice. So the dollar supplanted the British pound. And this is akin to the global currency concept made popular by George Maynard Keynes. Keynes was the, was the brainchild of the Bancor, which was a super nat, super, supranational currency idea. He thought of this one world currency idea. Guess what? That's been around for hundreds of years. Uh, George Maynard Keynes just took the idea and, and kind of dressed it up, and put lipstick on the pig. Sure. But anyway, yeah. so the terms of the agreement, uh, and, and under the terms of the agreement, they were trying to re remedy one of the abuses that countries use when they do the res world reserve currency. They typically uh, commit running continual trade and fiscal deficits. So the pact, what they did is they pegged the dollar to gold so that we couldn't get fiscally irresponsible. Mm. Guess what, Zach? What? That didn't last very long. <laughs> no, unfortunately That's not. We're talking about politicians. Mm. And politicians love to spend money. The situation is fluid when it comes yeah, to politics. Oh, yes. <laughs> so then they created the London Gold Pool, which was an agreement between all these world's leading nations that they're going to hold us accountable. But that started fraying shortly after 1961. They were trying to fix the price of gold to $35 an ounce. But seven years later, France said, you know what? They broke ranks. They withdrew from the gold pool and they demanded gold from, they, they, they said, here are our dollars, our U.S. dollars we hoarded. Now we want the gold. Open up Fort Knox. Sure. Give us the gold, baby. So, and this was based on Volcker's advice to Nixon. Most people don't know. Everybody uh, hails Volcker as the hero for raising interest rates and killing inflation. Mm-hmm. But they didn't know that there he was the one that told Nixon to go off the gold standard to begin with that created the massive inflation, one of the reasons, right? They yeah. wanted a, a, a fiat currency that they could print to the cows come home, and it loosens the shackles. They no longer have to be fiscally responsible. So once we went off the gold standard, now the Arab countries knew that now before we were trading gold for oil, meaning we buy dollars took our dollars, bought the barrels of oil. Now we were just trading a bunch of wood chips flaked together, crushed together with green paint and painting some dead president's head on it and saying, this is what we're trading you wood chips for gold, not, I mean, for oil, not gold for oil. And they uh, saw that and they said, well, well, that's fine. We're tripling the price of oil. Right. We want more dollars. Mm. So all of a sudden you unleashed a lot of inflation. So from that point forward, the dollar was a floating currency and Nixon's essentially annulled the Bretton Woods Agreement, okay? Mm -hmm. 
By the late 70s, Fair Chairman Volcker raised interest rates from 5.875. So, folks, when you think interest rates are high right now at 4 or 5, that actually is kind of the 30-year mean. That's pretty yeah. close. We're, we're actually finally starting to get back to the mean. It's just they took us so low, we got used to the zero interest rates for so long. Anyway, Volcker took us from 5.875 to almost 20% breaking inflation. Essentially crushing demand and killing the economy. Yes. So while economically painful, Volcker's actions not only ended the 10-year persistently high inflation, he restored economic stability, but more importantly, satisfied America's trading partners. Because now they're not getting this hyperinflated dollar anymore. It's got some value. Mm -hmm. So the floating uh, rate dollar regained its uh, integrity. Okay. Now. This Dr. Triffin in 1960, 11 years before Nixon uh, talked about the suspension of gold, he said there's an inevitable problem with the world reserve currency. And he's actually right. Um, he said the privilege of becoming the world's currency eventually carries heavy penalties. Okay. In his thesis, he said the big, the great paradox, and it's actually called Triffin's paradox now. Yeah. He got credit for it. He said, he said essentially when you have a world reserve uh, status, it forces uh, a good percentage of global trade to be in U.S. dollars, almost all of it, really. So, so, so for trade and global economies to grow under such a system, the U.S. must supply the world with more U.S. dollars, more and more U.S. dollars. So it must the United States must consistently run trade deficits, and then it, be it forces us to become a big debtor, big debtor nation. As foreign nations accumulate and spend dollars uh, through trade, they keep extra U.S. dollars on hand to manage their economies and limit financial shocks. These dollars, known as excess reserves, that's the excess reserves in the banking system, are invested primarily in U.S.-denominated investments from CDs, bank deposits, U.S. treasuries, and a, a bunch of other U.S. financial securities. So it's actually good for us for our markets. As a global economy expanded and more trade occurred, additional dollars were required. It requires uh, foreign dollar reserves to grow and were lent back to the U.S. Okay? So making the world even more dependent on the U.S. dollar, many foreign countries and U.S. and foreign countries and companies issued U.S. dollar denominated debt to better facilitate and take advantage of America's liquid capital markets. Folks, that's key because what they do is now they're reliant on the dollar. In other words, in a foreign country, they can't print in their own currency and stimulate and try to do monetary manipulation like our Fed, right? Yes. Because their currency is pegged to our Fed. Mm. So they're desperate. They're, they're relying on whatever the Fed does. Gotcha. So now that the Fed is tightening, it's squeezing them and emerging markets in other countries too, not just us. That makes it hard. And if they're fiscally irresponsible, which most countries are, they got too much debt, it really hurts. Now their debt expense, their interest expense on their debt is going up just like ours. Okay. Now, it said um, uh, the U.S. purchases of imports with dollars lent to her by the same nations that sold the goods. So basically they're making goods or selling it to us. We give them dollars. And then they buy our bonds. It's a circular event. Okay. Additionally, the need for foreign countries to hold dollars and invest them in the U.S. 
results in lower U.S. interest rates until you have inflation. Uh, Further encouraging domestic consumption and providing relative support. So it sounds like a good system, right? It works until it gets too far gone, okay? For their part, foreign nations benefit from manufacturing shifted away from United States to their own respective countries. As this occurred, increased demand for their products supported by unemployment and income growth, thus raising prosperity to their respective citizens. That's the mantra. That's the whole thing. We make the whole world richer. And that does work, except you need more and more U.S. dollars. You need more and more debt. And for our own protection, for our own national security, we still need manufacturing and our own internal market and manufacturing base. That's me. That's my opinion. That's not in this article. Okay. So he said a win-win or a Ponzi scheme. While it appears Bretton Woods' covenant is a win-win pact, there's a massive cost accruing to everybody involved. The U.S. has too much debt, and as such, it has become increasingly dependent on low interest rates to spur debt-driven consumption and to pay interest in principle on existing debt. Lower than appropriate interest rates led to unproductive debt, meaning people borrow for for not a viable, it's not that great of a business plan, and then all of a sudden interest rates rise, and now you can't afford it. Mm. So you have unproductive, you know, when you have a little bit higher rates, competitive rates, bad deals get weeded out, and you only do good deals. It actually is in line with economic reality and 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 supply and demand. Mm. When you have too low of interest rates and free money, now bad deals get done along with good deals. There is no differentiation, right? That's the problem. So it said uh, lower than uh, appropriate interest rates led to unproductive debt, as can be seen with the debt outstanding rising much faster than GDP. Okay. In summary, the Triffin's paradox states that with the benefits of a reserve currency also comes with the inevitable tipping point of failure. Uh, as we've seen in the current instance, rising interest rates and inflation, the point of failure is closing in on the U.S. and the rest of the world. Part two, which will be very interesting, I'm going to get that next, hopefully in a couple of weeks, the article will focus on the dollar and Fed monetary policy uh, which may entail, and what it may entail as the Fed continues to push rates higher. So the second article coming out, the dollar and monetary policy, will actually be maybe a little bit more directly related to investments, but this actually directly relates to investments and what is currently happening right now. Now, I, I slightly disagree with um, his um, his. Uh, what do you call it, philosophy or his uh, paradox. If you remain ethical and you stay fiscally responsible and you don't accrue too much debt, that system of a reserve, reserve world currency can work. The problem is you have human behavior and you have politicians and their rotten ethics that actually make it too easy to go borrow money, especially when the Fed takes rates down to incredibly low levels, and all of a sudden you get people borrowing money for any reason under the sun, and you start funding bad deals mm-hmm. and, and things that aren't reasonable when rates rise, and when the rates rise, they all go out of business. 
and you actually cause greater chaos. So anyway, I just wanted to go over that. Dan, Dan can I? Yeah, can absolutely. I just ask you a quick question about that? Yeah, because I hope I, I have a quick I've, I've answer. Been looking into that as well. Yeah, I've I've, I've heard of, I've heard of Triffin's paradox um, as well and looked into it and um, a big problem in sort of what we're going through right now um, that that makes sense is. Um, this this whole system of by design exporting um, or, or running a, a trade deficit, uh, basically exporting manufacturing and labor to to the rest of the world, in order to transfer those U.S. dollars to keep the system going, where you run into trouble is basically what we're going what we're going through now of uh, trying to bring back those jobs to the U.S. and bring back manufacturing and supply chains then you can't export the dollars and the whole system kind of uh, fails. And, and that's sort of what we're going through now, right? That, that's kind of the situation. Well, sort of. What he's saying, though, is if you continue, forget about bringing manufacturing back. I agree we're doing that now uh, because we realize that that might be a national security issue and we do want some manufacturing base. What he's saying is the way that his theory is, the way that that's set up, you keep have to borrow, borrow, keep exporting, keep exporting, and you'll get more and more debt until you can't meet the debt expense, the interest expense. So even without bringing manufacturing back to the United States, he's saying that system is flawed and it's broken. What I'm saying is it's actually the fact that the humans running it are being unethical and trying to stimulate. In other words, they're trying to manage. They're not letting the economy and supply demand natural forces self-regulate. The Fed gets in there and tries to manipulate it too much. And the problem is they stimulate and print and drop interest rates and and print a bunch of money and stick it in the system when when they're trying to stimulate it and speed it up. The problem is they never pull back and suck money out when it actually starts to initially speed up so that they do it very smoothly, they actually let it go and get overheated. And that's the problem. They don't do a balancing act where they pull back and pull money out of the system. But I, so what you're saying is while that, that theory is out there, I don't think that's the, I think if you're fiscally responsible and monetarily responsible you could have the U.S. be a world reserve currency and still have uh, some manufacturing in the U.S. Some manufacturing in the U.S. doesn't make sense because if it's just a very simple, simple widget and you've got cheap labor overseas, then yes, it is, it is too hard to overcome the labor costs in the U.S. But when you have more sophisticated products and technology and innovation and you need very tight um, quality controls, then I I think that even though our cost of 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 employment and the workers is more, our productivity and efficiency is better. So I disagree that it's not they're not mutually exclusive. I think there is a way to have both. I just think that the problem is with the ethics and the management, not the system itself. I mean, we don't have a everybody keeps talking about this capital system. We're not a capital system anymore. I mean, you can call it crony capitalism. You can call it part socialism, part capitalism. I mean, I don't want to get into semantics. It doesn't matter what you call it. But when big government gets involved and tries to manage, they're inefficient and they get in the way. That's, that's the problem. If you, I, personally, I believe 
You need just enough regulation to protect small business against big business interests, meaning the lobbyist, right? And just enough regulation to, to protect the environment and then get out of the way. Get out of the way. And, and, and innovation, and, and actually greed is a good thing. Greed will help people innovate and make things for other people that will make our lives better and to keep the economy clean. And, and with the problem is when you get large, large corporations having too much power, they're writing the bills with their lobbyists and the Congress is not uh, uh, representing we the people anymore. I'll tell you another thing. The Fed has gotten very much political in the last 10 years. Uh, before they didn't used to be, but now they're putting out stuff about income equality and a living wage and all these other things, and that's not their job. Their job is to protect the currency, period. And then in the last 30 years, they've also added uh, full employment, which by or uh, employment, which by the way is actually those two su- actually are inversely correlated a lot of times. So they really should just be trying to protect the currency. But yes, I, I've heard that argument, Michael. I, I don't agree with it. I think the problem is the manipulation and trying to manage the economy rather than just trying to be responsible and let the markets kind of manage, uh, self-adjust, if you will. Don, you got any thoughts on it? No, I focus more on the charts because ultimately <laughs> they'll show everything that's going on underneath the surface. And actually, I would disagree with what you said. You said ultimately they'll show. Actually, I think they'll quickly show. I think they'll be one of the leading indicators, and they'll show up on the charts before you get a big decline and before you get in trouble. So I agree with Don, absolutely. All right. So I just wanted to kind of go over that. I know that was a little bit deep. Did you just say you disagree with me and then you agree with me within 15 seconds? No, no. I said I disagree with your use of the word ultimately. I don't think it'll okay. ultimately show up in the charts. I think it'll yes, very it quickly, immediately show up in the charts. I think it'll show uh, well, up. Well, you're you're trying to put you're trying to put a time frame on ultimately. You don't know what my time frame is when I say ultimately. Ultimately, very quickly. <laughs> all we're <laughs> all we're saying is it's going to show up pretty quickly, and it's going to give you time to. You may get a nick, but you won't get a a, a, ju- a cut on the juggler. Right. You'll be able to get out of the way, and that's the main thing. Anyway, folks, anybody Ultimately, who... you're correct. <laughs> Listen, folks, if you've got any questions on this or you want to talk more about this, um, I, Mike and I, Don's a little more chart guy, uh, but uh, Michael and I love to talk about the, the fundamentals and the economics and the Fed and what they do and what they don't do. And, and uh, you know, we can talk about federal market open, open market operations. We can talk about the discount rate, the Fed funds, whatever you want. We can talk about all that. Can't do it on the show because it's extremely boring. It's actually good if you're trying to go to sleep and you, you want to do some reading, just go to the Fed's, uh, Fed's website and start reading some of their reports. Yes, a little dry for the Friday. A little, little bit dry That's for, for uh, yeah. a Friday before Thanksgiving. All right, folks. Um, now I want to get into the markets, okay? And I want to talk about, because the markets have been absolutely um, – just manic depressive, bipolar, whatever you want to call it, just up, just these big, big swings on on both sides. It does look like they're starting to get a little bit of legs and firm up, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully. But look, during COVID, the last bear market during COVID, you had the Fed come out and say, okay, I'm printing $4 trillion of funny money. 
and we're going to stick it in the system and we're going to buy bonds and stock. We're buying everything and we're putting a floor under this. And you saw just a perfect V bottom go back to March 23rd of 2020 and it's just a V bottom off the bottom. That's not all, doesn't always happen. In fact, that's not really the norm. Normally, when you come off a bear market bottom, you'll get fits and starts and it'll have four or five, you know, have some false starts off the bottom. Mm-hmm. And you got to have a mathematical way to get in because you want to be able to get in, partic- participate. But if it rolls over and it turns out to be the third leg down, you don't get caught in another 20, 20% downturn. But if it is the bottom and you're going to get a, a 20% pop in, in, within a month or two very quickly, it's very easy. I mean, not very easy. That can happen very quickly. And so you want to be able to have a discipline where you might get back in, and if it turns out to be wrong, you lose 1% or 2%, but you don't go down 6 or 8 or 10 okay? That's very important, and that's hard to do. But my point was, last time during COVID, the Fed came out and said, we're your, it's, the, it's the Powell put. We're going to put a floor under this. We're not letting this go any further. might have been the Yellen put back then, actually. But <laughs> we're not letting it go any further. And and now they're not saying that. They're not being accommodative. They're being a little tougher, right? right. In fact, they're just talking about they're still going to raise rates. So that's why it's been – and they're sending mixed signals. So that's why it's a much more difficult market now. So with that, Don, I set the Thanksgiving, pre-Thanksgiving table for you. Go in there and carve the market bird. <laughs> Dan, uh, I would love to do that. Uh, you're talking about the Fed yesterday morning with Bullard saying putting 7% on the table as a terminal interest rate kind of scared the bejesus out of the market, but uh, held where it need needed to hold. I've got a 60-minute chart up here of the S&P 500. I've been talking about two, two levels. The shortest term level is the 39.50 level, which was the low of the pullback uh, from the prior three, four days. And then the 3,900 level, which was resistance over here, meaning the market could not get above it in late October. Uh, the big gap up on the CPI numbers got us above that 3,900. We ran up for two days. Uh, and then the Bullard scare gap down uh, tried to break back below 3,900 and couldn't do it. So that was a win for a win for the bulls was going down to 3,900 and not going any lower. A win for the bears yesterday was a rejection trying to get back above this 3,950 level. And we've tried, we actually gapped open above 3,950 this morning, uh, but have since failed. So that level 3,950, again, it's uh, we're getting mixed messages from the market, a little bit of a win for the bulls, a little bit of a win for the bears. But ultimately, uh, which way it's making it very clear where the key levels are. That 4,007, we've been talking about a big FIB level. Fib, that FIB means Fibonacci for anybody that, that doesn't uh, know what that is. And the market just historically uh, pauses or um, pays attention to 618 50 and 38.2 retracements of moves. In this case, the 68.1, 4,007 is the move off of the low relative to 
this third leg down here, 43.25 down to 34.91. Uh, we got above 4,007 for about 15, 20 minutes this week and then failed. And that's the, actually it was a little bit longer than that. It was a couple of hours, but it didn't hold it is the point and hasn't tested it since then. Uh, so we're playing ping pong between 3,900 and 4,000 basically. And what's coming down to meet us, Dan, what do I talk about in every video? What's the key level? What's the level on the indexes that we need to be very aware of because it's the difference between a healthy market and a risky market? That was a rhetorical because everybody knows the answer is the 200-day moving average, which is <laughs> dropping about still about three points a day. It's all the way down to 4067, so it could be that we just go sideways uh, into next week. This um, moving average should be down around 4050 by the end of next week, 4050, 4060. Our high this week was 4030. We're getting very close to the rubber meeting the road on the S&P 500. On small caps, we keep failing at this day moving average. You, you can see us playing ping pong above it. One day above, a day below, a day above. Uh oh, I lost Don. We lose Don. I think we might have. He's, fro he's frozen stiff. Oh, there he is. Uh, oh, moving average. Yep. All right, we can hear you. Sorry. Don, can you hear us? Yeah, yeah. We lost you for just you a lost minute. Me? There you are. You're back. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, the 200-day moving average on small caps, we failed trying to get back above that today, so we're out of our small cap position completely now. Uh, on the NASDAQ 100, this 285 level is the equivalent of uh, 3950 on the S&P. The NASDAQ is weak today. Tesla down 2.5%, Amazon down 2%, Google down a percent and a half, Apple barely positive. Um, we, you see we got above this 3950, or sorry, this 285 level today, but couldn't hold above it for more than an hour and failed back below it. So uh, the bottom line is the key levels to watch, 280 on the bottom, for the NASDAQ 100, 3,900 on the bottom for the S&P. We break below there, we've got problems. On the upside, we wanna break back above 285 uh, and then uh, work toward 290 on the NASDAQ 100. On the S&P, stay above 3,950. If we can close today above 3,950, it'll be a win for the bulls on the S&P 500. We've got, uh, three hours and 45 minutes before we close, two hours and 45 minutes before we close. Uh, it's 1.15 Eastern time here. We got to get back above 3950. Uh, it's a big level bulls and bears battling it out. Typical bear market action. Anytime something looks strong, the bears come in and with their claws, swipe things back down. Anytime things look weak, the bulls come in and gore the bears and bounce us back up. Uh, to a, another level just enough to get everybody uh, excited again and they start buying and then the bears come back and swat you. That's why they say bear markets kill both bears and bulls. Bull markets only kill bears uh, because all of the pullbacks are contained. They're reasonable. Um, bears are the only ones that get killed in bull markets. Bear markets kill both. It's very, uh, the, the swings are intense. The swings are sudden. Uh, 
the bull can come out of nowhere when the bear seemingly was in charge and vice versa. Uh, but 39.50 is the key level today. And then 4,000 and this declining 200-day moving average on the S&P, uh, which is currently at 40.67 and headed down toward price. And that's really uh, where the rubber's going to meet the road. The, the, the leading index continues to be the Dow. Uh, it has a progress over the last week uh, because money seems to have that what's hiding in the Dow, uh, moving a little bit more into semiconductors and solar, a couple of more growth areas. By the way, both of those growth areas are benefiting from uh, government welfare with the CHIPS Act that passed and uh, the CARES Act that passed that uh, threw a bunch of money into green energy. Uh, so it's not really surprising when you consider who's paying for the uh, the expansion of those two sectors, but those are the two that uh, <laughs> seem to be outperforming. Plus, Apple saying they're going to use one of Temi, uh, Taiwan Semiconductor's plants that's under construction in Arizona for their chips. Smart move, considering that that takes them away from the Chinese-Taiwan uh, tensions that are going on. And also, Warren Buffett bought uh, a stake in Taiwan Center, it was revealed this week. That's what was responsible for the big gap up uh, on Tuesday on TSM. So still a broken chart under its 200-day moving average. But if we look at the semiconductor uh, index, the SOX, serious relative strength uh, over the last three weeks, certainly relative to the NASDAQ 100, which uh, can't get back above or stay above uh, the 200, can't even get close to the 200-day moving average. It's battling to stay above the 50 and the 21, but um, that key 285 area being resistance, we need to certainly stay above 280 on the downside or we would be going lower across the board. That's my take on the markets, Daniel. All right. Well, thank you, Don. All right. We've got uh, Michael Ramos. Michael, you're going to talk about uh, I believe solar, a few solar stocks, right? Solar. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, I, you acted like I had that wrong. No, you got it. <laughs> even even a blind oh. acorn, I was right. That's right. <laughs> even a blind squirrel, blind we are acorn. Talking about solar. <laughs> blind acorn. Did you say blind date? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. didn't even catch it at first. Uh, Dan. God, Dan, you guys you are... remember Norm Crosby? Yeah, yeah, the, you the the comedian Norm Crosby. What was he famous for? I don't remember Norm. No, no, I don't butchering remember. the English language. Oh, you oh. are the Norm Crosby of well, Revere Asset Management. Thank you. Although thank Tim you. Blind... Used, used to certainly yeah. invent invent yeah, a few words. Uh, Blind acorns, like extrogenous. <laughs> That's he, a good one. He, he, even a blind acorn gets a squirrel once in a while. <laughs> yes, no question about it. Especially when they're on a blind date. All right. All right, Michael. We'll shut up now. All right. All right. So solar, um, exciting sector. Um, it's actually the leading sector of the market, um, and has been for a little while. So, um. Thought it would be appropriate to talk about it as a lot of those charts are um looking pretty good and um revere has a position in um the leading stock of the market which is fslr um so essentially um there have been a lot of uh subsidies and um legislation passed uh recently that is benefiting this um this industry and 
the two main things are um, the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, and last week, there was a, within that, there was this, um, a key rooftop solar subsidy that was revised. And the new plans, um, basically in those plans, they're reducing payments to, to homeowners that have these solar panels that are selling the electricity back to the grid but they scrapped um, a proposed monthly connection fee that was included in an earlier proposal. So on the back of that news, um, Sunrun was up 27%, um, NOVA and SPWR were both up 20%, and Sunrun benefited the most because what they do is they install and lease solar panels for residential customers. So um, yeah, the, they, they really benefit from this new proposal. And um, going back to the solar group as a whole, um, FSLR is the leader in that group. And um, the Inflation Reduction Act is really the catalyst for, for, um, for this stock and the reason why it's, it's moving and benefiting so much. And um, basically what this, what this act does, the IRA, is um, it offers generous incentives to build up a domestic supply chain for renewables. Um, so in, in that act, there are tax credits to companies that make everything from wind turbines to EV batteries in the U.S., as well as bonus tax credits for power plant developers that use these domestically made components. And FSLR is the big winner in this because um, they're the premier U.S. manufacturer of solar panels for residential and commercial markets. And um, basically... A problem with the the solar industry is that um, a lot of a lot of solar panels and components are made um, in China, and the U.S. for national security reasons and to build up this industry are really trying to move away from this Chinese supply chain and to get the supply chain back home. And to do this, um, the U.S. basically needs to build the supply chain from scratch. So. All these companies like uh, First Solar, Enphase is another one. And um, what Enphase does is they, um, they're they a US-based manufacturer of these microinverters, which um, are basically devices that can convert the direct current energy from that, that's produced from the solar panels to an alternating current that can actually be used in your appliances and sent back to the grid. And um, yeah, so what you need to look for is is these solar either components or panels or anything in the renewable space that's based in the U.S. because the U.S. companies are the ones who are going to benefit from the supply chain coming back home and are going to get the most um, incentives and um, and and yeah, like the 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 policy is is basically um, rewarding and the the subsidies are going to the U.S. companies. And then another one that um, had a big move recently that um, that Don was was looking at and we were interested in was SHLS. And um, what SHLS does, and this isn't as straightforward as something like FSLR or Enphase, is they are, it's called the balance of system. And they do everything. They do all the components, equipment, structures, and services necessary um, for the, the solar... Um, industry for residential and uh, commercial uses. And what that means is they do like the cabling, the racking and mounting, the grid connection, installation system designs, they do everything. So um, 
yeah, it's it's a little harder to because obviously certain segments of that company can be doing well while others aren't doing so well. So that's a little more complicated to do research on and look into and see um, if it's if it's something you'd want to invest in. But something very straightforward like Enphase, where it's they make microinverters, or First Solar, they make panels. Um, that that's a little simpler to understand. So I I personally would would um, stick to those areas. And then the last one I'll talk about is ARRY Array, and they um, what they do is they design and manufacture solar tracking and solar racking systems. So they have this cool technology that basically um, allows you you put the solar panels on these racks and they track the movement of the sun. So they're more efficient, generate more energy, and um, those are really good for for both residential and commercial uses. So you have these big um, solar farms. And with these array panels, they can move and just track the sun and, and be efficient um, all day instead of being in the, the wrong location. So so that's an interesting um, company as well. Um, so uh, I think those are the the top ones, in my opinion. You've got uh, First Solar, Enphase, and ARRY. Well, I, I, I could tell you this. You know that solar is hot. When you heard my phone ring about 10 minutes ago during the show, 15 minutes ago, yeah. the phone rang. It was a solar uh, uh, call, and they have called about twice a day for the last week trying to get me on the phone to try to talk about the free solar panels I get on my house because I answered once. Now I'm screening. So this, all this money, this government money going to the solar is, 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 is pumping up that, that sector. And it doesn't matter the reason. It doesn't matter whether it's government funding, whether it's internal fundamentals. Like Don always says, price is truth. And if the stock's going up, we like it. If the stock's going down, we don't like it. So you got to have rules. We've got buy and sell rules. And um, solar is the probably the hottest sector right now. Don, do you think solar is the hottest sector right now? Do you think there's one or two others? Solar, yeah. Semiconductors have been coming on lately, but solar really uh, is. Okay. All right. Well, Everybody folks- wants to short oil too, Dan. Uh, and I know you're personally offended by that being a Texan. Uh, but oil's pullbacks have been controlled so far, and they continue to hold uh, 50 and 21-day moving averages on pullbacks. Now, the the thought for shorting oil is obviously uh, that if the if the uh, world is going into recession, we're not going to need as much oil. But uh, ultimately, again, price uh, will be the decider. But the the European energy policies re- relying on uh, all this green nonsense when they didn't have a replacement for it and people are going to freeze this winter uh, might lead to uh, a little bit of loosening uh, on the the reins. But but then again, I'm trying to apply logic to a situation. You had Liz Truss, you had Liz Truss, who was the prime minister for about as long as it takes to hard boil an egg. And she said we were going to go back to fracking to try to release it. And then this new guy came in. He said, oh, no, no fracking, not a chance. So. Oh, they'll hit their pain threshold. There are yeah, other countries. At some point, maybe they will. There's a few other countries that have already bro- broken ranks and said, "No, we're just going to buy oil from Russia. We don't care. We, we don't. We don't have yeah. a. We don't have a replacement. And so we're going to bring in coal plants back online and uh, bring in nuclear plant uh, plants back online. Also. Oh man, you're saying that thing didn't work. It didn't have it. All right. Well. Enough said. It's a great idea, just like it's a great idea to buy a. Uh, it's just early. Yeah, it's just early. It's not. It's not ready for prime time yet. And they're trying to force it 
before they didn't have the replacement ready right. for it. Right. Yeah. Well, you got to phase it in. You got to phase it in, and they're trying to mandate it at a certain timeline, and it's just it's just going to hit a brick wall. It's going to be interesting either way. Well, folks, listen. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor. Just send them to revereasset.com. In the upper right-hand corner, there's a subscribe button. They can click on that, and they can put their name and email address in there. And we won't spam them or reach out to them in any way. It's up to them to reach out to us if they want a complimentary portfolio review, just have questions, or and want this. This podcast will be directly put in their inbox normally every Saturday morning when it's sent out. However, 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 if you go to Revere Asset on YouTube, just type in Revere Asset, and you hit subscribe on our YouTube channel, then as soon as Zach, our illustrious producer, who I was bragging on a while ago. Thank you. By the way, remind me afterward, I got a new client for you. Oh, great. Um, um, that needs to do a podcast. Um, I lost my train of thought now. I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> the outro. Um, where I was there. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, where was I, though? Uh, oh, if you sign up for YouTube, it will be as soon as you post a show, which right now it's about 1228 Central Time. So maybe in an hour, this show is already on YouTube. You'll get it even before the market closes on Friday, right? Otherwise, it'll just come in our inbox on Saturday morning. It's up to you. But you also, if you sign up, um, you get our daily market insight video where we actually uh, go over a short 10, 15-minute video where we go over the market internals, the market stats. And what we're actually doing at Revere, we're the most transparent advisor that I know of. And folks, I promise you, if you watch Don's videos two to three nights a week for three months, you will know more than the guy at Ed Jones or Merrill Lynch. And it's free. Because those guys, are most of them are brokers and they're salesmen. They're not market technicians, tacticians, whatever you want to call it. And Don is right there in the trenches. And we're actually showing you what we're doing. We're show we got a whole stock nerd community. Hell, if we don't get out the Don, if your uh, daily market insight video isn't out by like seven thirty, eight o'clock, I'm getting like texts like, "Where's my fix? Hey, hey, where, 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 where's the thing?" So we've got everything all the way from from clients that were from the old brokerage houses, the pie chart said it, forget it, that were going down thirty percent every couple of years, and we're tired of that, mm-hmm. and they're on board with us, and they love it now. And then we've got all the way to market active market participants that are traders to trade a little bit on their own and then let us manage the majority of it or a big chunk of it. And we've got both of those. So it, it, like I said, it's, it's very interesting. And if you want to learn what we do, you can just sign up risk-free. We're not, we're not going to reach out to you. We're not going to, uh, it's up to you to reach out to us. So you can just sign up on that, uh, content, that uh, sign up sheet. You can also call us old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH and you can email us Dan at revereasset.com, Don at revereasset.com, or uh, 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 Michael at revereasset.com, and even Ted at revereasset.com, and we will be happy to answer all of your questions. Remember, folks, no, uh, no show next week. Have a happy Thanksgiving. I'm glad the acorn got the squirrel. Uh-huh. The blind acorn <laughs> got the, the squirrel. Uh-huh. And we'll talk to you, Ted. We'll talk to you. Oh, yeah, George Strait, baby. And we I had to do that for <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And we will talk to you next two in two weeks on your money. And I'm never gonna dance again. Guilty feet have got no rhythm. Because remember, it's not how much you make in the market, it's how much you keep. 
Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.